We're continuing a study on the Seventh-day Adventist fundamental beliefs, and last week we focused on the experience of salvation. I hope you had some joy and freedom in your life this past week, knowing that it was the action of God that saves you. And this week we are moving on to another awesome teaching, and it is growing in Christ. You want to grow in Christ? And I'm inviting my children up to help me illustrate this one. Come on up here. So I have three daughters, and they have a bunch of baby dolls. Uh, So I know something about daughters, and I know something about baby dolls, and I thought it'd be helpful for you all to hear the difference between the two. There's several important differences. You know, there's some similar things. They're, they're all cute and snuggly. Um, but my daughters are cuter and snugglier. But there are some important differences. And um, yeah, like, like that, I don't take my kids out in public without clothes on. That's a difference. And um, there's been one of these that has been hiding behind their door in a green basket for like two weeks, and it just keeps looking at me. Every time I walk in, it's just staring there. And so a huge difference between daughters and baby dolls is um, you can leave these things in the same spot for three weeks, and it's not neglect. (laughs) They're easy to care for. And you might notice also another difference is that I have three, and my wife and I are done, and they have many. And there's actually more at home that we couldn't find, and that's the difference. I don't have any kids hiding at home. But they have more, and it's not because I'm slacking. It's because baby dolls are a whole lot easier to care for than kids. So my kids require food. These don't. My kids grow, and uh, we have to buy new clothes. Wouldn't that be frustrating if we had to buy new clothes every month for for these little baby dolls? And my kids uh, sometimes have complaints fuss about things. These baby dolls, they don't at all. And, um, you know, like yesterday I was working on this sermon, and I kind of needed to focus. And I said, hey, girls, you need to go do something else. You need to leave me alone and focus. With these, with these things, you can put them in a box and leave them on the shelf, and, and they can stay three weeks and not be touched, right? So some major differences between baby dolls and girls, but there's also some major rewards, that you don't find in baby dolls that I find in my daughters, and that is that we have a relationship together. And they grow, and they have intelligence, and we have uh, communication, and there's a dynamic because the main difference here is these things are non-living, and these girls are alive. That's the major difference. These are not alive And these are, and it makes a major difference. Thank you so much. You can take the baby dolls back down. What I wanted to tell you about that is baby doll spirituality is a whole lot easier than the spirituality of a son and daughter of God. It's easier. Baby doll spirituality can be neglected and forgotten about and put on a shelf, and it's okay. But the sons and daughters of God require nourishment and attention, time and energy. There's a whole lot more work to having a spirituality that's alive versus having a spirituality that's dead. Spirituality that's dead is an option, and it's going to be easier. But you miss out on a huge reward, don't you? It's not the same to pick up that baby doll and hug it 
as it is for me to snuggle my daughters, because one's dead and one's alive, and that's the difference between a baby doll spirituality and the kind that God has designed for sons and daughters of him, this one grows. Here's something I want you to remember from this message. Living things grow. It's a scientific fact. So I got this list from a Khan Academy biology class, but you can Google it. Google seven characteristics of all life. There are certain things that all life shares, and one, this is how they they used, um, made their list. There's other ways of describing it, but organization. It's organized into cellular structures. Metabolism, homeostasis, growth, reproduction, response, and adaption. Now, some of those you might not know what they mean at all, but you know what growth means. And being that it's in this list of a basic biology course, what we learn is every living thing grows. That is a test of if it's alive. Now, it might not grow huge in size, but it's developing. Does that tell you something about our Creator? He designed life for eternal, continual, exciting, meaningful growth. And science has a word for things that don't grow, and and God created things that don't grow. Those are non-living organisms, right? There's rocks. They don't grow. They're good things, but they're not alive because living things grow. And today we are called by this fundamental belief, we are called to have a faith, a spiritual life that is growing. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. We're also going to reference our fundamental belief, and we're going to see three guiding truths for unlimited spiritual growth. If you're just processing this so far, and there's a little bit of something in you that says, I want to grow, let's bring ourselves to this message. And let's pause and pray. I want God in all of this. Father, as we open your word to 2 Corinthians, as we see growth, as we're reminded that that's your desire for us, my prayer is that you would rebuke the devil. You would set us free from things that have held us captive that you would speak individually to the heart so that your children could have a living, growing experience with Jesus. Speak through this time in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was read for us already. I'm going to read it one more time because this is where I'm getting my points today. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Now the Spirit of the Lord... Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So I want to highlight three things that I think are, are powerful in letting us, releasing us for growth. And they're right from this text. So three guiding truths for unlimited spiritual growth. And the first that we'll look at today is that Jesus gives the freedom to grow. The second we'll look at is that Jesus is the way to grow. And that Jesus is the goal of growth. Do you notice something they all have in common? Yeah, 
Growth has to do with Jesus. So we're going to look at this first one. Jesus gives the freedom to grow. Now, I hope this is a good, good news for some people who feel like growth isn't for them. Like maybe they've been stuck for a long time, or maybe they've made some really bad mistakes, and they're looking at spiritual growth and saying, well, I don't know if I have the right to do that. Well, the truth that you can rest in today, Jesus gives freedom to grow. We see that in verse 17. It says, now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So another way to say that Jesus gives us freedom to grow is, we are free to grow spiritually because Jesus has defeated the spiritual forces of evil. Now I'll read it one more time. We are free to grow spiritually because Jesus has defeated the spiritual forces of evil. That's why I know that growth is a possibility for you. Because I know that Jesus has defeated the spiritual forces of evil. And we also see this as we go back in the chapter. So this verse doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It's in a a section of scripture talking about the ministry of the new covenant. So there's this covenant and he's going back to the old and saying this is how it was here and this is how it is here. And, And the point being made is that there's a difference. There was a veil that was in front of the people between people and God's glory. And that veil was removed in Jesus. So if you go back, I'll read verse 14 through 16. It says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And then it says, now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There was a veil keeping us from that unlimited growth. Well, that veil is removed in Jesus. So there are new growth possibilities because of the new covenant and what Christ has done. We are told in the crucifixion story, in Matthew 27, 51, it says this interesting detail. And the curtain was torn. Christ did something to give us access to God through the death of Christ to increase our intimacy with him and open up unlimited growth in Jesus. So we are free to grow because Jesus has defeated the spiritual forces of evil. And that's what it says in our uh, fundamental belief. I'm just going to read the first few lines of our fundamental belief. It says, by his death on the cross, Jesus triumphed over the forces of evil. He who subjugated the demonic spirits during his earthly ministry has broken their power and made certain their ultimate doom. One more line. Jesus' victory gives us victory over the evil forces that still seek to control us. They're still there seeking to control us, but they can't do it. They don't have the right to do it. It's on the screen. I'm going to say it because I think it's powerful for us to get. That the powers of evil are doing all they can to keep us from spiritual growth. The thing we need to know is they don't actually have the power to stop it. You feel it because we're still living in a fallen world and we have not had our nature transformed. That happens at the second coming. So we still have temptation. They still influence us, but they have no dominion over us. So we feel these things, but the secret that we can know 
that destroys their power is they don't actually have the power to stop you from growing in Jesus. Is that good news? They'll harass and they'll come and they'll tempt and they'll accuse, but Jesus is victorious. So the forces that wish to hold you captive are actually defeated forces. So don't be held captive by a defeated foe. Here's some scriptures to remind us that this is actually the intention of God. It's actually what the Bible teaches. Um, Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Christ defeated the forces of evil. And we see that power show up um, in our fundamental belief. I want to give you a little history of this fundamental belief. Does anyone remember when we had 27 fundamental beliefs? Does anyone still mistakenly say the 27 fundamental beliefs? So there's an article. Um, I do a sermon blog every week, and you can get um, this article at the very bottom. I have, like, the references. And this is an article that um, in 2015, or 2005, we voted a new fundamental belief, and it was this one. Growing in Christ. So growing in Christ is our very newest fundamental belief. And there's an article, the General Conference Executive Committee proposed this fundamental belief before the General Conference. And that article is online, and it's wonderful. I read it today. And some interesting history of fundamental beliefs. They go back to different dates. And one time we were up to 31, and then we had different, different uh, numbers, different articulations of them. Well, the 27 was pretty... Uh, pretty strongly reinforced in 1980. So that's when they got to 27. And since 1980, we have not added any others except for this one. So in 2005, so that's where the 28th comes from. And there were some issues happening in 2005 in the world church that really stimulated this doctrine to be considered. And in global missions, we were finding that there were cultures who we were trying to teach about Jesus who actually had... Um, spiritualistic, demonic practices that were deeply embedded in their culture. So that's really hard when you're teaching about someone about how to grow in Christ and you're talking about prayer and biblical meditation and, and these things, and their only concept of spiritual growth is through connecting with evil spirits. That's like a deeply rooted um, difficulty to get past, right? Probably a lot deeper than any of my struggles with spiritual forces so they wanted to articulate to the world church that those powers that those people were struggling with were real. They were uh, making life hard, but they were conquered. They were defeated. So this doctrine came out of this struggle in the world church with these things. So they wanted to make some certain things clear. And in this article, they share um, that they explicitly wanted to state in our beliefs that Christian growth— does not come through things like transcendental meditation and spiritual exercises that call out demonic powers. In fact, it's the opposite. We have victory over them. And they put this wording in our fundamental belief that we have victory over our past deeds. <clears throat> so when I read that, I think of my sin. Like I think back, oh, I have victory over things I did in the past. And that's so true. There's a verse in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, not only to forgive, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So it's so true. But when I get the context of why this belief came into our fundamentals, it's not just, oh, I messed up here and I messed up there. But some people are dealing with generational oppression and they need to know that the victory of Christ gives us victory over past deeds. And you might not be the, the people that we're talking about in the global missions way out in some jungle somewhere, but you have some generational things you're dealing with. And you have some things that your parents passed down that you've thought in your mind, can I get past this? Is this something that I can actually expect God to give me deliverance from? And so this statement, we have victory over our past deeds, is not just the sins you committed last month that you're ashamed of. It's this history and this baggage that the devil wants to hold us with. And what we need to know from Scripture is the victory of Christ actually gives us freedom from our past deeds. That burden does not have to keep us from growing in Christ. That is such good news. So we have victory over, we have freedom from the burden of past deeds. Don't let shame, guilt, family history, things that were done to you by an evil person in the past, things that you did in the past, don't let those things be so big in your mind that you think Jesus can't give victory from those things. But it's not just freedom from past deeds. The victory of Christ actually gives freedom from sin today, from current life situations that are, we struggle with. So we experience that freedom through victory over current sin. Now, we'll have to think through this carefully because there are ditches we can fall into. But when I read Scripture, I read about a God whose grace is so good, it doesn't just save me, it changes me. It actually, he actually wants to take away wicked thoughts and practices and transform my mind and give me holy thinking and pure practices and that is a good God. Boy, I don't want to be stuck. To know I'm saved, but just, man, I'm just going to keep failing and hitting my head over and over again because there's no power to get me out of this cycle that I keep falling into. The good news is the gospel reaches past. Just saving us eternally, it changes us in the moment. We can experience something of Christ-likeness even in this sinful world. That's good news. So we are free from current sins as well as past deeds. There is nothing that should disqualify us from spiritual growth. You know how I know that? Because the victory of Christ over sin is certain. There's nothing you can do or nothing you've done or nothing that you're thinking about doing that is going to take away the fact that he's victorious over the forces of evil. And here's some scripture some scripture that reminds us of these things. I'm just going to quickly reference these, but we read about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. just going to highlight a, a few words. It says, we are called to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. Not so that we will be uh, perpetually knocked down by the devil, but so that because this grace of God that clothes us with his armor the intention is so that we can actually stand against the devil's schemes. We don't have to be defeated every time. It, in Galatians, um, we, we hear about freedom. In the first few verses of Galatians 5, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. 
Paul writes to the Romans, and in the first few verses of Romans 6, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That sounds pretty victorious to me. And that chapter goes on to talk about sin with a couple powerful phrases. In verse 12 it says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Don't let that happen. In verse 13 it says, Do not present your members to sin. Verse 14 reminds us that sin does not have dominion over us. So I just want you to hear good news today. If you've been stuck in your spiritual life, or if you've convinced yourself that growth wasn't possible for you, whether it's a personality issue, or just your reputation, or wherever it's been, your possibility for growth has nothing to do with what you plan to do, or what you've done. It has everything to do with a God who's victorious over sin. And we might have some objections. I know I've done it. I've hidden away from the possibility of overcoming sin with phrases like, well, nobody's perfect, right? And that's true. But that's a mistaken understanding. Victory over sin is not about me being perfect. It's about Christ being victorious. So it's not, it doesn't matter if nobody's perfect. Christ wants to set you free. So it's available to you. And here's the caution. The caution is, don't make victory over sin about earning salvation. Right? Didn't we just talk about that last week? Whose actions are the actions that save you? And here's, here's what the danger is. The danger is now you hear me talk really excited about overcoming sin and that you can do it. And the danger is that you look at your life and you say, but I'm still sinning. And probably everybody else in church isn't because pastor's talking to them and they're there. And then we start, after we've already accepted the fact that Christ has saved us, it's all his merits, then we start to say, well, but I'm not really growing fast. I still did this, so maybe I'm not really in Christ. And we start to doubt these things, and then we start to say, I better shape up so I can prove that I'm saved. So that's the huge danger when we talk about overcoming sin, is that somehow we slip back into thinking that this has something to do with getting us saved. Well, Jesus saved us by grace. Victory over sin is bonus grace. It's additional grace. He's giving the grace for us to actually change the way we think and act and do things because he doesn't want us to stay in misery. So, can't hold on to that thing today. So don't make this about earning salvation. Make it a joyful, triumphant thing that God gives us the possibility to grow in grace. I'll see if I can hold on to it now. So I, I know there's somebody who's thinking, that sounds really good. It might not be for me. I've done a lot of wishful thinking in my spiritual life. I joined a Bible study, and then I did all this, and I started coming to prayer meeting, and then I did this, and I had a, a spiritual accountability partner, and then I did this. I know, I know 
that the Holy Spirit is ready on, on his toes, ready to give freedom, and it's possible for you. And I know that, not because I think that you're going to figure it out today, but because I know that the victory of Christ is certain. So that's the truth. The truth is, the freedom to grow is because Christ is victorious over Satan. So if you believe that, if you believe that Christ is victorious over Satan, you're free. Those powers that want to keep you from growing are not able to. So we're going to look at truth number two. Now that we recognize that there is, there is certainty in Christ's victory and possibility for us to grow, the way to grow is also through Jesus. And this one's super, super simple. If the last one was a little bit complicated, this one is so simple. The text says in verse 18, I'm going to read the first part of verse 18. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. It's so simple. We grow when we look at Jesus. Because in Jesus, we see the glory of an awesome God. That's how we grow. Now, there are strategies. You can go online and Google it because everyone wants to grow. We want to grow our business. We want to grow our YouTube channel. We want to grow our practice. And so there's books and lectures and all these classes on five steps to growth and these things. For the Christian, there's one thing to do to grow. Look at Jesus. Now, you might do other things, but when you do those other things, you do them in order to see Jesus. Like Zacchaeus, he did something to grow. He climbed a tree. Why do you climb a tree? To see Jesus. And that is what we do if we want to grow. We do everything we can to catch a glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus. And that says something about his glory. That's putting a lot of faith in the glory of God. It, for me to say that growth happens when I look at Jesus, that means I believe that there's a God who's so beautiful, so loving, so transforming, that if I just look at him, it's going to transform me. I don't even have to understand him. I don't even have to, to prove to him anything. Just beholding him does something in my life and I'm not the same. Now that is to say something huge about our God. If he's glorious enough that I can catch a glimpse of him and it changes me, he is an amazing God. And this chapter is, talks a lot about glory. It talks about the glory of the old covenant and it says it was actually pretty glorious. So how much more glorious will this new one be? And it says it is superior to the old. And it's permanent. So when we get to this point in the text, the reader should be thinking, this glory is something amazing. If I catch a glimpse of it, my life is not the same anymore. So we grow spiritually when we see Jesus. Our mission statement for this church is to be a community striving to intentionally reflect the character of God. Now that we see that growth happens when we look at Jesus, do you see growth in this vision statement? If we're reflecting the character of God, then this is going to be a place we grow. Because growth happens when we see Jesus. So if I saw Jesus in the way that someone taught Sabbath school class and the points they brought out, then that reflection of the character of God actually changes my life. It makes me more like Jesus. So we could be a community, if we are striving to reflect the character of God, this is going to be a place of transformational, awesome, spiritual growth. Because I don't need to come along and give you five steps or guilt you into something. If I show you the character of God, you're going to start growing. 
because that's an amazing, glorious God. So we have a, a vision here that includes growth. Growth opportunities are everywhere. This is so exciting. Growth opportunities are everywhere because God's glory is everywhere. So if I grow by looking at Jesus and God is glorious in all things, then I can go on a hike and I can see something beautiful and it can point me to Jesus and I grow. There's a growth opportunity on the hike. There's a growth opportunity at work when you're working with a coworker and it's difficult and you have to learn some patience and some tolerance. If you can see Jesus in that patience and that tolerance, you grow. There's a growth opportunity in your traffic jam. There's a growth opportunity in your homework. So if we get, catch this glimpse that everything I do, whether it's coming to church, going to work, reading my Bible, listening to a sermon, the one thing I'm doing is I'm looking and saying, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus in this difficult conversation. I want to see Jesus in this night of entertainment. I want to see Jesus in my relationships. Then any opportunity can be an opportunity for growth because any place can be a place I see God's glory. So our eyes are obsessively looking, where is Jesus in this? Because I want to grow. I want to see his glory. And I grow when I look at Jesus. So here's some practical suggestions. Growth is everywhere, but here are some ways that we're very likely to see Jesus. Just like Zacchaeus, a lot more likely to see Jesus in that tree. So here are some things we could do, some practices we could put in our life where we're way more likely to see Jesus than if we did not. One is in welcoming the Holy Spirit into our lives. So there's a free gift. And the things that Scripture says about the Holy Spirit are where I get that word unlimited. When I say that these are truths for unlimited spiritual growth, Scripture says in John 3 that God gives the Spirit without limit. He said he loves to give good gifts to his children, and he loves to pour out his Spirit. He just says, ask, I'll pour out my Spirit. So there is available to us the Spirit of God, not just to come and uh, give us the pamphlet, but to live in our hearts. And if I invite the Spirit to live in my heart, I'm going to see a lot more of Jesus. There are some fruits of the Spirit that are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, this whole list. When I look at those, I say, oh, there's some growth opportunities for me. Because I have some room to grow in each one of those things. So if the Spirit's living in my life, I'm going to see a whole bunch of Jesus. And sometimes I'm going to be seeing it in a way of repentance and saying, boy, I need to be more loving. I need to be more patient. I need to be more kind. So if we want to grow, open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Like he says, ask, and I'll give you the Spirit. If we want to grow, oh, going back. Uh, we could practice some specific spiritual disciplines. So I've been really uh, excited about discipline lately. I'm not a very disciplined person, and I've just realized how much it benefits my life to have certain meaningful disciplines. And if you've heard me talk about it, I'll repeat some things. But I can't control outcomes, but I can choose the inputs, right? I can't control the outcome, but I can choose the input. So if I'm choosing inputs like scripture, if I'm choosing inputs like exercise, if I'm choosing inputs like good friends, that's going to put me in a position to see Jesus, isn't it? So the scripture lists a lot of spiritual disciplines like fasting, prayer, Sabbath, service, uh, reading the Bible. So make some commitments to practicing spiritual disciplines, and the result is you're going to start seeing Jesus more. So it doesn't come 
in the discipline. It's not the act of discipline that helps us grow. In fact, if you go back, I already read verse 14 and 15. There were people at the time that he was writing this who were reading the Old Testament and they were reading it with a veiled face. And they weren't growing. So they were actually reading Scripture. They had a spiritual discipline of Bible reading, but their face was veiled so they couldn't see Jesus, so they couldn't grow. So in the disciplines, whatever it is that God convicts your heart, like, I do need to take more time for prayer, or I need to take more time to come to a small group, or I need to take more time um, to study the Word, what you're doing in that discipline is you're saying, show me your glory. I'm going to read this, lift the veil so I can see Jesus, and if I see you, I'm going to grow. In this sermon, this sermon is not going to make you grow. But there's a potential that as you listen to the sermon, you're going to see Jesus, and you're going to grow. So every practice we bring into our life is an opportunity to climb a tree so we can get to that point where we can get a clear glimpse of Jesus. And Scripture encourages us to be disciplined about this. It says that we should train for righteousness. Train yourselves in righteousness. Take your schedule and your, your day and say, what part of this day is training me to have my eyes fixed, fixed on Jesus? And if you don't see some, some places, then take 20 minutes here and say, I need to do some training for righteousness. Some time where I have inputs into my life that help make it way more likely that I'm going to see the glory of God today because I'm training my eyes for righteousness. So one way to grow would be to look at your life and put a discipline there that would train you to see Jesus one spiritual discipline specifically is to use your gifts. Um, I highlighted a video on our church website, and the appeal of that video is, we want you to be involved in the ministry of this church. There are ways that we need, that we have gifts, and those gifts can meet real needs. One way to grow is to serve. Have you experienced that? Like you're stuck and you're stagnant, and then you try something that was scary for you, and you say, God, I'm available to you in service. You grow so much. When we want to grow, step out in loving service to others. The reason I list these specific things is these are all listed in the Statement of Fundamental Belief. It talks about the Holy Spirit. Um, in the rationale for bringing this belief up in 2005, that said that there were many people who looked at our beliefs and said, why don't we have any place in our beliefs for prayer and Bible study and spiritual disciplines? So they added these words into the Fundamental Belief. And I have them written here but I know I'm going to go over time, so I'm not going to read them. But go back and read those, and you'll find the Holy Spirit listed in this fundamental belief. You'll find spiritual disciplines and a call to service. And I'm going to add to those, maybe, maybe it's, it's time for you to make a, a decision for Jesus to grow. And I'm excited that in a month from now, the last Sabbath of November, we have several baptisms planned. And maybe you're at a point where God is calling your heart, and, and you need to make a commitment to baptism. And you could just find me after the service and say, Pastor, I'm ready to grow in that way. Or maybe you're already baptized and there's another decision point that you need to make that would let all of heaven know you're pursuing Jesus. Uh, make some decisions for growth. So there's some practical ways you might grow. Can you see that picture on the screen at all? So this is um, it's called the Haywain Triptych. This was written, uh, painted by a man, I'll get his name wrong if I don't look, um, Hieronymus Bosch. So Hieronymus Bosch painted this. 
Bosch died in 1516. So that's one year before Luther posted his 95 Theses. So you know what was going on in, in the church at this time? There's some really bad stuff that needed reformed, right? And he, we don't know when he painted this picture, but it was shortly before his death. One of, one of the uh, last paintings he did. And it's called a, tri, uh, a triptych because it has three panels. So this panel here is creation. And this panel here is judgment. And what he's trying to depict in this is that the painting in between is what's happening now. This is the past, this is the future, and this is life now. And there's so much symbolism in it. There's a hay bale, and the, uh, the people of elite status in the church, they're gathered around the hay bale, they have access. And the common people are the peasants. You, their faces are not painted in color. They're dark, and they're in the back. And they're just removed from access to this hay bale. And then, on the top of the hay bale, we have an angel, and the angel is the only one looking up. And then, above where the angel's looking is Jesus with all his gifts to man, and there's no human with their eyes pointing up. So what this is depicting is a dark, dark time in the church, and the author, among other symbols, is saying, here is a source of our darkness. Nobody is seeing Jesus. He's there. It's not like he's any less victorious or any less glorious or any good. It's just that no one's looking at him. And so we're suffering greatly as a church and as a people because our eyes haven't caught a glimpse of the glory of God because it is a spiritual truth that we grow by looking at Jesus. We see his glory and we grow. And the third point in the text I'll read the rest of verse 18. And this is the goal of growth. Growth. It says, we are being transformed from this into the same image. So we're looking at God's, Christ's glory, and we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What are we transformed into? Into the very thing we're looking at. The goal of growth is Christ-likeness. Oh, there's a lot of goals of growth. You know, a lot of businesses have their growth plan, and some of them are financial, and some of them are for community impact. Our goal of growth is Christ-likeness. That's the goal. We want to be like him, because he created us to live a holy life. So the goal of gr growth is to be like Christ. Growth is not a good thing just be on its own. It has to have an object. Uh, one way of saying that is like, how Edward Abbey said it. Growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of a cancer cell. Like, I can just grow and grow and grow, but if I don't have a holy goal for my growth, then what good did the growth do? So we don't just want to grow. We want to grow so that our life looks more like the life of Jesus. So our character is more like the character of God because we were created to be in loving relationship with him where we were created in his image. We looked like him. Our character was like him. Not that we are God, but that we are creations of God that reflect the glory of God. So our object is the highest object we could have to be like God. And that is all at once accessible and inexhaustible. It's accessible because 
in this moment, even though I'm not perfect, I haven't arrived, I could experience God-given patience. And that's success. If my goal is to be like Christ, and in this moment I have patience like Christ, then I reach that goal. If my goal is to be forgiving and loving and to make a difference for the kingdom, and it's like Christ, then any moment that I act like Christ, I succeeded. So that's, that's awesome. Any moment that you know that Christ is working in you, you can know that there's a celebration of success. But at the same time, it is completely inexhaustible because for eternity, we will be learning of the glory of God. So we're never going to get to a place where we have no more of Christ to grow into. So I can be eternally successful in my goal and never reach the end of my quest. Isn't that an awesome way to live? Where I can feel the joy of knowing that, hey, I wasn't like that yesterday. Last time he said that to me, I reacted in a very different way. And I can have that pat on the back from heaven to say, you're growing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You're successful in that goal that this thought of yours right now was captive to Christ. This action of yours right, right now resembled Christ. And then I can know that I will grow into that forever because his glory is beyond my imagination. So there is a, a I do a, a weekly devotional, call it Speak Lord, and I put it on a podcast. And I just wanted to point you in the direction of one of them that was for a, the previous week. Uh, I, I reflected on a verse from Hosea, and I called it, um, We Become Like the Things We Love. And just this reality that by beholding, by be, we become changed. Um, so if, it, if you want to go for a five-minute dive into that, you can find that on our website. And I wanted to highlight that because I don't want to repeat all those things, but we become like the things we love. So if our eyes are looking to Jesus, for beholding Jesus, by beholding him, we become changed. Ellen White actually referred to that, by beholding we become changed, as the law of the human mind. That's how our brain works. When we look at something, we become changed like that. So look to Jesus, and we become changed. Let me read to you from the book Education, page 18. And if it doesn't get you fired up, then I don't know what to do, because this is pretty exciting. So the goal of growth is to become like Christ, and here's what it says in the book, Education, page 18. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. That's you. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for you. And then it says, godliness, godlikeness is the goal to be reached. Before the student, there is open a path of continual progress. He has an object to achieve, a standard to attain. That includes everything good, pure and noble, he will advance as fast and as far as possible in every branch of truth and knowledge. But his efforts will be directed to objects as much higher than mere selfish and temporal interests as the heavens are higher than the earth. That's God's ideal for his children. Continual, eternal growth, and the goal of it is Jesus. So I shared at the beginning that living things grow. You are a living thing. Your faith is a living thing. Our fundamental beliefs emphatically state that we as living sons and daughters of God should expect to grow in Christ. And here are the three truths we saw in 2 Corinthians. I want to review them. I hope one or all of them just 
our freedom to you and our joy to you and release you into growing in Christ. And the first is that God, or Jesus gives the freedom to grow. It's in his victory over sin. Jesus is the way to grow. We grow by looking at Jesus, and Jesus is the goal of growth. If you're wondering what you're growing into, you're growing to become more like Jesus. This week coming up, uh, we're going to visit some friends that we haven't seen in a long time. And I can pretty much predict that one of those friends is going to look at my daughters and say, they've grown so much. Yeah, you said that today. They've grown so much. And, and what, that, what that is reflecting is, man, they are growing rapidly. I haven't seen them for a while, so I noticed a change, right? Just imagine if our spiritual life and our church community had that experience. Like, if you did not come to church for a month, Imagine if you walked in these doors and you felt the love and you said, wow, they've grown so much. Imagine if you met a friend as an adult, we're done growing physically, right? And you met a friend and they're talking with you and they're just saying, wow, you've grown so much. Like, you're less selfish. You're more loving. You're more excited about serving others. That's what I want for my spiritual life. I think it's possible. I think it's God's design. Slow growth does not mean you're not growing. Don't stress yourself out about how you compare to others. Just keep your eyes on Jesus, and you know that as you look at Jesus, you're going to grow. You're going to become more like him. So if God's convicted your heart in any way to grow, just take all those thoughts right now. This is our moment. Consolidate them into a moment of prayer with God. Maybe you need to make a commitment. Clifford's going to come up and sing for us. Come on up here, Clifford, and close us out. And whatever it is that God is touching your heart with, don't leave this place without talking to him about that. He has growth for you. We have the length of this song to just speak to Jesus about the growth he has for us.